0: Welcome everyone to Investing for Generational Wealth. Let us dive into the world of expert financial insights and strategies. This is your host, Keshav Kolor, and welcome to today's webinar, Introduction to Build to Rent with Andy McMullen, a Managing Partner and Director of Acquisitions at Legacy Acquisitions. A 20-year veteran in real estate, Andy has been working with investors to develop strategies that suit their needs, covering strategic acquisitions in emerging markets, as well as value-add strategies in local markets. Andy's knowledge and experience in real estate have earned him more than $750 million in real estate transactions, as well as over a 1,000 units. Before we begin, a quick disclaimer. We are not financial advisors. All investments are subject to risks, including the possible loss of the money you invest, so perform your due diligence before making any financial decisions, and of course, consult your CPA and your attorney before beginning investments. And with that, let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Keshav, and today I have here with me my partner, Andy McMullen. Um, he's the reason you know I'm able to get into the game of commercial real estate. And Andy and I both love Build to Rent, so that's what we're here to talk to you about today. So... We'll go for we we'll aim for 30 minutes, hopefully. I love to talk. Andy loves to talk even more. <laughs> so um, please throw your questions in the chat. And if we're doing a good enough job, we should hit them along the way. If not, we'll get to them all at the end. And with that, let's get started. So we'll start off with an introduction about ourselves, what we do, what is built to rent, why does it make sense now? Is it too good to be true? Give it give you guys an objective view of the pros and the cons. What do these opportunities look like? And some next steps, how you can reach us to learn more, et cetera. Uh, Classic legal disclaimer, we're not investment, tax, financial, or legal advisors. Everything here is for educational or entertainment purposes only, as everyone's saying on social media these days. So just keep that in mind. So a quick introduction about us. My name is Keshav Kolor. I've been hosting the weekly events here. Also the founder of Cloud Capital. We help busy everyday investors passively add real estate to their portfolio. And we have a smart, savvy real estate crowd here. So I'm not going to go into the advantages, but our experience, obviously most of this, actually all of this is in these uh, 25 plus years in the industry, $750 million of project value, $130 million of equity raised and over 2,000 units currently under management. And Andy, please tell us more about yourselves, yourself and your journey.
1: Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just tell a little bit. I, you know, so I've been in this game, as you guys can see, for quite a while. Um, struggled, um, kind of in the Venice Beach, Santa Monica area. Um, started to learn a little bit more about development, develop some of the uh, built-to-rent projects down there in uh, Venice Beach, and then we kind of started uh, looking at more multifamily projects to invest in. Um, kind of felt like that was a a, a great fit just with, as you guys all know, the depreciation opportunity and the the, the loan pay down and, you know, potential for, uh, for quite a few, um, you know, additional opportunities. Um, but I also started to get turned off a little bit with California. So we owned a lot of stuff in kind of central California, southern California. I'm out here in San Diego. Um, and we found that there's a lot of great opportunities that are cyclical in very many markets. So many of you guys might remember well, probably none of you remember honestly, but 2008 before 2008, real estate was very localized. You had, you know, sending markets and descending markets and then the music just stopped for everybody when the, the loans just completely shut down. Right. So it just became kind of a national, you know, crisis with real estate. I think we're starting to see it a lot more, um, localized now, which is why Acacia and I are so, um, you know, eager to share with you our our views on built to rent because I just think that there's a huge huge opportunity for investors, um, and you know we'll get into it a little bit a little bit later. But that's just a little bit about what what I'm looking to communicate today. So our business strategy, uh,
0: the both of us, we just invest in apartment complexes, anything 75 units and over. Well, probably more like triple digits, now, 100 units or land where we can build homes and rent them out. Again, 100 homes or more. And that's what we'll be talking to you about today, built to rent. And we invest in the Southeast, you know, as a lot of people like to do nowadays, landlord friendly markets, market growth, job growth, population growth. Uh, current portfolio, so just closed on 300 apartments in Houston, Texas. We're building 98 homes in Lafayette, Louisiana. Another 158 homes coming up in Foley, Alabama, and a couple more in the pipeline. You know, again, built to rent deals that we're very excited about, but we're still in the early stages of them. So, you know, maybe on a future webinar we can discuss those. So, what is built to rent? Built to rent is single family homes built in communities, but managed as rentals. So not sold off to me or you as home buyers, but Managed as single family rentals. Another way to think about it is horizontal multifamily. And in contrast to your typical suburban communities, you have amenities and a sense of community, as you would in apartment complexes. You have that pool house, that clubhouse, the fitness area, you know, doggy park, playground, etc. But you also have your own, you know, backyard, a lot of privacy, a lot of spaciousness for your kids and dogs and pets to run around. So it's a nice blend of both apartment and home living.
2: Kishov, uh, and you might, um, and um, a- Andy, you might get into this later. But uh, what do typical syndicators of built to rent uh, do as an exit strategy? Do they keep their uh, investment portfolio uh, long term? Or uh, do they try to formulate some type of exit strategy for their investor?
1: Yeah. it's Got a great it. question. Keesha, do you want to get into it a little bit later or do you want to?
2: Yeah. It's the next slide.
1: Okay. okay. Got okay. it. He's reading John, your mind.
0: John's okay. always a step ahead of me. So as John mentioned, built to rent is a nice process. Because one of you know, One of the pros of it is you have multiple exit strategies. At the beginning of the process, uh, you buy, you have just land, right? And you have, what we do at least, is we place the land under an option to buy. So we'll put, similar to like hard money down, I guess, the sponsor team will put, you know, hard money down. Maybe it's 20 grand, 30 grand, et cetera, on a land. I think we're putting, what, 30 or 40 grand down on Broussard, right, Andy? Which is going to be a total purchase. For the option so our option is going to cost 40 grand and the land is total going to cost 1.8 million so what that allows us to do is we don't have to buy the all you don't we don't have to shell out 1.8 million right off the bat we put 40 down and that's you can think of as hard money and we use the next six months or so as a sanity check to make sure that we can build the homes and the community in the way we want to that the city officials love what we're doing the community loves what we're doing that There's no crazy terrain or, you know, endangered species we have to worry about. And that's really phase one. You know, you kind of make sure that there's no reason that your development will fail right off the bat. So you talk to the city officials, get your engineering studies done, go to a lot of, you know, government hearings, et cetera. And so that's called the acquisition and legal phase. And at the end of that, what you have is land that's entitled, the city's on board, the community's on board, you can start building. Now you can sell here, right? You can sell once your land's entitled because you've created value. You can sell it off to the next guy and tell him, hey, the city's on board, the community's on board, you can start building. And there's profit to be made here because it is the riskiest portion of development, but because it's the riskiest, as the old saying goes, this is also where you'll get the highest reward and that goes on into the second phase the horizontal infrastructure this is where we start building so at this point we have the green light to go we're going to start building roads sewers utilities power grid curbs sidewalks anything that goes side to side and again here this you know could take anywhere between 8 to 12 months depending on how big your site is once you're done here you've created value again right because now all that's left is you have to build homes vertical and so some people, what they do, they'll sell at the end of the horizontal phase to some other guy and say, Hey, you can finish building the you can build the homes. I finished the utilities and the infrastructure and all that. So that's exit point number two. And this phase is a little less risky than the acquisition phase, a little less reward, but you know, riskier than the vertical and more reward than the vertical phase. And finally, in stage three you're ready to build homes, so that's you'll build them in groups of 10 or 20 at a time, lease them out to people, move on to the next 10 or 20, until you've built all the homes that you intend on building, right? So if you have 100 homes, you're going to build them in groups of 10. You'll do that 10 times, rent them out as you go until you've finished building all 100. Now, here's where it gets interesting at the end of phase three. Again, you've created some value because you have homes now and you've stabilized them, meaning they're renting out operations are all running smooth. You could do a couple of different things. You could sell it off to one of these big institutional buyers. You could sell it off in pieces to a bunch of different groups, mom and pop operators, other syndications, or what you could do in to create legacy wealth, which is an idea that, you know, Andy and I like to chase, you know, create assets that our kids can have, even though that's a a long time away for me is you refinance your money out of the property, out of the asset. And any investors who want out, you just buy their shares out and you hold it for cash flow, you know, for decades to come.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the, the interesting thing, for instance, the Lafayette project, they were all individually platted. So if we wanted to sell them off in groups of 10 or 20 or 30, we could do that. If we want to sell them to one institutional buyer. Which we're seeing a lot more institutions going into that area, right? Because they're all chasing yield for Calpers and Calsters and their pension funds. So as the rents increase, they really want to make sure that they've got their investors in high yield, um, you know, vehicles. So, so that and and so that's one way. And then to answer your other question, John, you know, if we did our Foley, Alabama project, we're going to basically sell it as one subdivision. So 155 units, 158 units to one investor. If we decide we want to individualize those units or condominiumize them, we can do like a condominium overlay, or we can um, you know, create an HOA and then individually plat them. So there's multiple exit strategies, depending where we are in the cycle and what the market forces are kind of dictating we do at that point
2: um and Andy, you mentioned uh, the word plat a couple of times. Could you explain for those who don't understand built to rent what that exactly that means
1: yeah if you if you just kind of consider your individual lot that you would have in some simplest terms, so let's just say that uh, you, you you own your house and it's on a, a lot of land that's maybe you know ten thousand twenty thousand square feet whatever. I'm sure you guys are probably close to twenty thousand square footers, right so you that's that's kind of separated by other houses on your street and those are all individually kind of platted in multifamily, you would have units together in one subdivision one 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 area that you could not condominiumize as easily right so you've got to wait for the entire structure to be built and then you would have to uh then you could stabilize it individually platted just means one individual house we can rent it, stabilize it, and if we wanted to sell that individual house, we could. Got it, thanks.
2: closer to you know 6 or 7 i
0: believe and what that does is home prices do come down yes but your monthly payment goes up by you know hundreds of dollars i think andy the figure you mentioned was a differential of 800 dollars or so
2: yep. between
0: renting and a mortgage payment so you have to think you know your target crowd in the real estate market right now are gen z people and millennials mostly millennials Millennials have seen the 2008 recession. They've seen the COVID recession. They have student debt. They're not doing as financially well off as previous generations, unfortunately. And so for them to get into the entry home, it's a lot more difficult now. And if they can't buy a home, then that unfortunately put them to rent. Um, in addition, right, additional numbers for you guys on who's like invest, institutional investors are buying this. Currently, institutions own about 5% of rentals in the market, and that's from a Yardi Matrix report, but the same report predicts that institutions will own 30 to 40% of the rental market by 2040. And that sounds crazy to say, but if you think about the fact that in this last year, a quarter, like every fourth home, one in every four homes was bought by an investor, it's not that
1: far-fetched. And when you consider just how much of the multifamily market that wall street controls right it's over 50 percent so you can see that we're in the very early innings i mean if you look at many of the markets around the country we're talking about two thousand here two three thousand here we're not talking about a large number of builds still um you know over i think in 2018 19 and 20 we're talking about marginal you know increase in development now it's doubling and tripling um Again, because Wall Street sees it says the kind of favorite sun. Yep.
0: I know we're hitting the top of the hour. Some of you may have to drop off, so I'm just going to throw Andy's contact information here real quick. You guys should sure already have my contact information. If not, I'll throw it towards the end. But here is Andy's. So back to, back to build to rent, right? I don't think you guys, you you need me to explain who this guy is, the Oracle of Omaha, but back in a CNBC interview with 2012, he said, if I had a way of buying a couple hundred thousand homes, single family homes, I would load up on them. And obviously, you know, investors like us, a couple, we don't have the balance sheet that Berkshire Hathaway does, but we can invest in hundreds of homes, right? And that's what we're doing. It all comes down to investing at scale so that when your property management goes to manage the property, instead of having to manage a property on the east side of Seattle, the west side of Seattle, the north and the south, all of your properties are in one centralized location. And you know, to pour more gasoline on the fire, for example, Goldman Sachs granted Fundrise, the crowdfunding platform, a $300 million line of credit to go out and invest in single family rental portfolios last year. So far in 2022, institutional investment has already exceeded sixty billion dollars. And that's because they realize that A, hey, it's always a game of supply and demand. And if we don't if we're short four million homes in the market, then that's what we got to invest in to be rewarded.
1: And for context, I think we built what maybe five hundred thousand last year. So we're talking about and that's that's to sell and rent, right? So so we've still got a lot of catch up, right? We're still in the early stages.
0: Yeah. And with supply chain issues, where they are, the rising costs of labor and materials, like that's it's gonna push a lot of builders, you know. I think
1: it, it bears repeating too. Like we kind of call it the, the triangle, this built-to-rent triangle, which I think is so powerful, is that you're basically benefiting from the increase in interest rates because rents are going up, right? You don't necessarily want to underwrite for that, but that's that's what is happening. So you got inflation, interest rates going up, rents going up. Then you have lack of supply, four million. If you're saying underneath that, that's 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 crazy. I think that's NPR's number. Whatever you, if even if it's two and a half million, whatever you believe that it is. And then the other one is the 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 third kind of peg, is that affordability gap that now, you know, you've you've got interest rates that are so high. There's a $850 delta between your mortgage payment and why not just buy a, as a young family come in. You know with your dog go in the back large backyard you know rent your home you got all of your friends in your community and dogging trail rock trails and new stuff there and and just rent um you know if your starter home you're buying something that's probably older and and you're doing a lot of work to it so this trend is you know this is here to stay yeah so
0: A lot of you are probably familiar with multifamily value add where you go out and buy apartment buildings, renovate the interiors and flip it to the next group 35 years later. And that's probably been the bread and butter of your commercial real estate portfolio. But it's harder to find those now, right? Because not many are left with these original cabinets from the eighties and nineties. There's not much more tearing out and renovating that you can do and at some point. You can only apart renovate an apartment so much until it stops making sense to do so right you can't go into a market where the median income is forty thousand dollars and then put granite countertops and the latest stainless steel appliances and smart home technology so no one's going to pay for that right because the income doesn't support it and so at certain point you can't just renovate what already exists you have to add new inventory to the market and that's what build to rent does So here, you know, this goes back to that triangle of, you know, the perfect concoction of factors that Andy was mentioning, right? You have the tenants, you have city officials who are looking for more housing for people. And then you have investors from the tenants perspective. Like we said, millennials are the peak, you know, they're, they're your target customer in the real estate market right now. And they love built to rent because of the flexibility, right? No longer do you have to lock yourself down in New York, Georgia, wherever you're living because you bought a home there. You can try out New York. You can try out Atlanta. You can try out Austin and keep renting until you feel like you've seen enough and you want to settle down somewhere. It's pet and remote friendly, not pet. Not I mean, pet and family friendly also, right? You're not cramped next to each other like you are in an apartment. You have that backyard, you have space in front of your home. Also, your kids can run around, your dog can run around. You don't have to worry about maintaining it either. If something breaks, that's usually on the property management company. They come by and take care of the lawn. You know, a lot of my coworkers yesterday, we were sitting at lunch, they were complaining about owning a home, having to mow the lawn and fix stuff that gets broken. That's all taken care of in a built rent community, and affordability again because it is a rental and you're not buying buying the home, right? Second, from this government, you know, city planning officials' perspective, they love it because of the amenities and the aesthetics that you're able to put in place. So you're not cramming people next to each other and in an, like you have an apartment, but you're not providing them with zero amenities like you are in typical subdivisions of single family homes either you're giving them space in the backyard like we said but you're also putting that clubhouse in you're also putting landscaping in and pools grill areas etc and lastly investors love it because of the economies of scale like they do commercial real estate in general lower maintenance costs because this is a class a product it's a new build so you're not going to have to spend you know 40 to 50% Let's say 50 percent of your revenue on maintaining it right we're seeing around 35 to 40 percent of your revenue coming out for expenses in maintaining the community and the exit strategies are a lot more lucrative because you have these big institutional investors who are willing to buy out the product that you invested your hard-earned money in so in the words
1: of michael scott it's a win-win-win and andy's gonna get <laughs> yes. of that. he's wise he's a wise one i, I would <laughs> like to add to that a little bit that So what we're finding is that the tenants are a lot, the residents we call them, are a lot stickier, right? They'll stay longer, right? So if your typical multifamily, maybe they're staying a year or two years, these are staying twice that, right? The leases are usually two years. Um, The other thing that I I was reading yesterday in a report, I think Fixer, F-I-X-R, so about 33%, so as we're trying to identify properties that make sense and markets that make sense, we really need the topography to be right, right? So we don't wanna be clearing a lot of trees. We want it to have an area where there's growth and low crime and all the kind of factors that you guys are, are you know, used to seeing in your investments. But then they've gotta be next to schools because about 35% of the, of the residents that we have are younger families with kids. And then another 33 or so are with just couples, single, uh, or excuse me, uh, married couples, young couples usually. And then you're seeing a lot more kind of the empty nesters come in. So a lot of the stuff that we're bringing in is to to be tailored towards that audience. And the other thing that I thought was interesting is the things that are most sought after in these built-to-rent communities, the pool it, you would think would be one, the clubhouse, no, it's typically the green spaces, as you mentioned, Keisha, if the big backyards, because about 70% of these built-to-renters, you know have a dog right so the doggy doors those kinds of things that make it really nice and open that they can interact with their neighbors so i think that's kind of encapsulating why just logically it makes sense for you know these younger couples to be gravitating to these communities andy is going to hate me if he sees this uh, picture I'm one more time gonna change the picture man i mean this is like like if I was the GC, I'd be like, whoa, wait a second. My beautiful work here being displayed on yeah. in the interior, you've got like a half painted with none of the, it's just molts. There's no, there's no uh, sod. I mean, th- th- this is an embarrassment, man. But anyways, well, uh, we'll I'll, I will, I will say that the the, uh, the community is starting to look a little bit better on the exterior because we got the, the green spaces and the parks and all that. But uh you know, se- all sell, sell the sex with the uh, interiors, Keisha.
0: <laughs> so that's, that's all of the ho- cold hard facts. So we'll take a break from that and kind of look some pretty pictures, right? This is a home, one of the 98 homes um, in our project in Lafayette, Louisiana that we're working on right now. Eight of them are built and these are what they look like. So they're 1200 square feet, three bedroom, two bathroom. The exterior will be painted as you will see in a few slides. But here you have your kitchen, right? Very modern finish. Um, here in the living room, again, the kitchen, like, yeah, class A product for sure. Living rooms, bathrooms. And this is on Zillow also, if you guys want to go take a look. So here's what we envision for the community. We're not going to leave the houses unpainted, right? They'll be colorful. But these are the 98 homes. There's that pond we talked about that dog park also with in the shape of a bone, jogging trails around the back. Those are the amenities that we're putting in. So these are some sample numbers for an upcoming opportunity that we're working on raising like $2 million for um, in Alabama. So let's say you invest 100 k right, to give you numbers for comparing it to multifamily apartments that you might be investing in year 1 and year 2 you're going to have almost no cash flow this is because of the rising interest rates on the loan that we're hopefully about to lock down here in a few days we are paying 9 and 3 quarters in interest right and that would be unheard of even earlier this year but the fed wants to fight inflation so that high interest rate really limits the cash flow that you can distribute to your investors now year three between year two and year three is where we plan to refinance right at that point we've stabilized the community we have renters in there we have steady income we don't underwrite for refinances in our projections because who knows where the market is going to go but uh, you know going to the question earlier let's say we do refinance we can pull out anywhere between 40 to 60 percent of our investors capital in year three and get that moving for them again and you know wherever they want to put it. Year four and year five is gonna be pretty limited cash flow again um, because of the leverage that you have on the product. And your big payday is going to come on the sale, right? Here you're gonna have 57% on the sale alone. So putting those numbers together, that's 109% ROI in five years. And that's including a lot of risk mitigants that we will go into on the next slide. And those numbers obviously were just, you know, examples or approximate examples, I should say. So given all that, right, the returns, the market, the conditions that we're going through is built to rent too good to be true, right? We have to weigh as investors, we have to weigh these investments objectively and go by the numbers. So on the risks side, right? Construction is inherently riskier than renovation. You know, creating a new home is a lot harder than just tearing out the flooring and replacing it in a already built. Cash flow is pretty limited, right? Not only in years one and two, but even later on, 5% cash flow. You know, multifamily is probably kicking off 8%. And lastly, construction loans are typically floating rate and can rise with rising interest rates. Like I said, we were originally looking at five and a half you know, five six months ago, five and a half interest rate on our construction loan for the 98 homes in Louisiana. Now we're looking at nine and three quarters. We have to go back out and raise that capital from investors. Um,
1: I think so so that we can stick. You start, sorry, I didn't mean, to joke. I just think it's an interesting story because when we started this, you know, SOFR, which is basically the kind of so you have your spread. Let's say your spread for your loan would be somewhere in that five percent, you know. If you're doing construction, and then maybe sofa at some point was I think I think we started off at like five and a half percent spread plus sofa sofa at one point was like twenty basis points now it's like three hundred, right? So at a certain point, you know, we buy the cap obviously, and our numbers have to make sense. And, and you know, we talk about you know is good too good to be true. Well, really, nothing is right, especially because we it could be. It, it, it could be that there's you know there's something down down the down the pike that we're not going to be able to refi so we need to have all those we know what our max is we know what, what we're what we're set up for on our um, cap rate on our cap and we know that we've got a contingency that's pretty healthy on these deals and we have to account for the fact that cap rates might go up right if they go up 20 basis points a year we got to be able to cap account for that. So, um, you know, I just, I just, I think people are always kind of curious, like how are these interest rates determined and how is it affecting development? I think it, it affects multifamily more now because you've got cap rates that are still in those fours or fives, and you're paying eight or nine percent for your leverage. So that means you got negative leverage. So you got to have either a the a, 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 new project with a lot of upside potential and a value add um but you can't expect a whole lot of cash flow in most of these deals so i don't think those eight nine percent on the multifamilies are, are realistic either yeah
0: one way to mitigate the risk from those rising interest rates is to buy a rate cap right you go to the bank you say hey i'm going to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars and let's just make sure that no matter what the fed wants to do with the interest rates we pay at most Let's say what we're doing right now is nine and three quarters percent. So that, you know, mitigates the risk up to a level. And then you can just underwrite using that max and assume that you're always just going to stay at that max for the duration of your development. So that's another thing, right? Always assume the worst in your interest rates. Never assume you can refi. Obviously, as you do with multifamily, be conservative with your exit cap rates and rents. Have your contingency reserves, right? Construction's gonna be delayed and over budget. What well, we the industry standard is five percent, right? Whatever your construction budget is, pad on five percent to make sure in case things go sideways, you're covered and you don't have to go back to investors. We like to be a little safer, we put you know 13%, for example, on our steel. So that's some numbers to give you reference for how to underrate these deals. And another thing you can do to be conservative is say, hey, I know I'm confident I can build 10 homes a month, but let's just underwrite to say I can build six a month. So there are all these little things that you can do to mitigate the risk for yourself and investors. And lastly, construction is based on an IRR-based waterfall. Well, I don't know if all is, but at least the projects we do is. And what that means is usually in multifamily you will get a preferred return let's say it's 10% for easy numbers you'll get 10% each year every year the project is running and what happens is once you hit that 10% anything beyond that is split 70% to you 30% to the sponsor team in in the developments we what we do is instead of doing that kind of waterfall, we do an IRR based waterfall where not only do you get that 10%, but you also get your initial capital back before the sponsor team starts sharing in that 30% of the profits. So in summary, right, built to rent, right now we are seeing the perfect tailwind factors to support construction. There's low supply, rising interest rates, and high inflation, institutional investor interest, a more remote and flexible lifestyle that people are looking for around the world, you know, that COVID kind of brought around. And it's a recession, right? There's that saying that, not millionaires, but um, what is it? You make your money when you buy, not when you sell. So like Warren Buffett says, be greedy when others are fearful,
1: be fearful when others are greedy. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Um, you know, the the thing that I would add to that is that um, this is there, There's going to be a lot of opportunity, and I know there's probably many people on this call that you know they've got some of their money in the market, and you know their IRAs down or what whatever. But there's going to be a lot of opportunities, and I think that people, I'm maybe you know preaching to the choir here a little bit about real estate in general, but when you just consider the number of ways that you can be making money in real estate. You know, the depreciation would be able to give about 60, 70% on most of our deals, even next year, where it goes down a step. Um, But this year, too, this year is probably the best opportunity for you to get in if you're trying to to to, um, you know, to write off. Um, And then I just think that as we've already started to see land come down, um, we can still build relatively inexpensively in a lot of these areas in the south, um, partly because the communities um want these types of projects in their neighborhoods um, they they there's there's not the same kind of risk uh, there, um, you know um you know traffic mitigation needed as you would in a you know an apartment building it's, it's on the street these are kind of their own contained communities um green parks all the stuff that kind of people in a community really want to be and i think it makes sense in a lot of secondary and tertiary markets i saw sharon's question um, and I'll just answer it now, Keshef, and because and, I know that we're probably going to take some more questions here soon as we're wrapping up. But you know, the part of the story of the reason that we really love the idea of Foley, Alabama, you know, Lafayette, you know, uh, Louisiana, you know, that seems like a secondary, probably a tertiary market, right? But we've got boots on the ground, and again, we find areas that have growth, good schools, you know, um, areas that are close to amenities. Foley, Alabama, first time I looked at it, I'm like, well, why is DR Horton going there? Why is DSLD going? Why are some of these institutions going to Foley, which in and of itself is probably maybe 20,000 people? But it basically, in between kind of Pensacola, um, Mobile on the other side, you've got so much growth in Baldwin County. It's the highest growth area in all of Alabama. Um, And so what we decided to do is like, let's follow some of those other institutions and where they're going and building projects because one, they're selling them off to other developers, but two, it just means that there's a lot of city support, county support in getting these projects approved. And that's exactly what we experienced um, in that community. So here's
0: our contact information. I'll throw it here in the chat. Andy's already up above that, not that but that's what we had for you today and let's hear from some of you all about any questions you have about build to rent or development in general
2: um i had a uh, two questions actually related to to underwriting one is uh, you spoke about sofer and if you could just explain what sofer is compared to you know people are familiar with def funds rate or other raids yeah
1: yeah. I mean, well, so, so basically it used to be like when I was like, I've been in this game for a while. Um, it used to be that you would, you know, you'd be on LIBOR plus whatever the spread is. Right. So let's just say, you know, it's basically just a you know, overnight financing rate, but if the spread, so let we call the spread, let's say that's the base rate. So if the interest rate is 5% plus SOFR is usually what most of the lenders doing today. So if, so fluctuated in our case from 20 basis points up to three percent or 300 basis points it's a pretty big gap right now so so for might come down i think so for today is like 304 or something like that um it was 250 two weeks ago so so basically what i'm suggesting most people consider doing is it's not cheap but if you buy a rate cap you've got your spread And you buy a rate cap of like let's say three and a half in the case of of you know so so if it goes above three and a half you're not there's no more interest rate increase right so maybe you have to pay a couple hundred grand for that you know you've got to build that into your underwriting but you know that you're you can support your project over the long term if interest rates stay up above the nine whatever that is so let's say it's five plus three and a half that's eight and a half you know, you know, if it goes above eight and a half, you're good for your underwriting for that time being of your loan, let's say it's three years, whatever, 48 months. But if it comes down a little bit, then obviously you're going to be benefiting from the reduction. So, um, yeah, so that it, that it's a, it's a totally different game. We've seen a lot of operators, right? Shift, and just talking with them where they were getting in, you know, deals where multifamily deals at three and a half, but they had no rate cap. So, you know, all of their underwriting was based on three and a half, you know, interest rates without, without a rate cap. No one, no one could have predicted up in the eight and a half. Right. I'm sure some people did, but I, I wasn't certainly smart enough to predict that. Um, and, I, and I've also never, I've been in this game for a long time. I've never experienced a situation where it actually signed the docs, you know, and then, you know, basically changing the, the LTC, you know, afterwards. So you get, you get a lot of, loans where maybe it's closer saying, hey, it's three weeks out and you better get a backup plan or whatever, but never after I've signed docs. So it's a completely, it we're in completely foreign territory as far as the capital markets go.
2: Uh, Kishav, I had a question for uh, you around um, just multifamily versus build to rent. So I know you invested in multifamily early on, Andy did as well. And then um, you know there's the strategy of switching to build to rent. I have my um, inklings as to why that might be a good investment strategy, but do you want to highlight some of the, the considerations you had?
0: Yeah, I still like, Andy and I still like multifamily, um, but it's just, it's harder to find those deals nowadays. Oh, he just left. Uh, I guess it must be serious. Oh, there it is. It's just harder to find those deals nowadays. Like I said, like there's only so much renovating you can do with apartment until the market can't support it anymore. And everyone's chasing these deals also. Everyone is becoming a syndicator. Everyone's raising funds uh, and going after these deals. It's not just the people, you know, with golf club memberships and yachts that do this anymore. Anyone can go out there and syndicate. So it increases the competition for that. Uh, So developments, I would say more difficult than, you know, your value add opportunities. And then the smart money is chasing built rent as we've seen that's where institutional investor demand is going they see the benefit of holding on to a portfolio where you have hundreds of homes consistently paying you rent every month and i would say those are the big things um, and then obviously your upside's a lot higher right so if you're looking for capital growth built rents better if you want to create a legacy it's a lot we like to refi. we would like to refinance out of the deals hold them uh, Andy loves the phrase golden, golden goose. So a lot of these people, they'll sell multifamily after a while. And I guess you could keep multifamily also. But we like to develop these and then refinance out of them, hold them, and, you know, see that 10%, 12% cash flow just coming in consistently
1: every month. Yeah, so we had a, uh, I think it was a 600-unit portfolio. We partnered up with another group. Um, multifamily built in the seventies, probably a B minus, um, really got a huge boost from just the market at the time. Um, and a low interest rate. Um, you know, thankfully we bought the, the rate cap. Um, but we're not gonna be able to refinance that, that sucker, you know, for, for a while now we can't, we can't get that money out and the capital back. And that's too bad because it's appreciated a ton because, you know, we've had some, the rents have been so, so high maybe we'll be able to get some capital out but we're going to be paying a lot of you know the cost of capital is really expensive i think to to keisha's point the other problem is for the last 10 years multifamily syndicators have been able to kind of buy value add so maybe it's let's say it's a 200 unit apartment building you know build out 50 of the units add value for those leave some more for some more meat on the bone for the next guy and then the next guy and then the next guy and at some point there's just you've got negative leverage cause you're paying your, any new properties, you're paying your seven, 8%. Let's say you could, you're in the sixes even, and your cap rates are, you know, at the fours it's, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're at some point, you're going to be pretty close to the same cap rate as the same, as the same um, rate. And then you've got negative leverage. So it's kind of a tricky game to be in the multifamily, but I still like it. We did a deal in Houston this year, but but they were just they were really hard to find, right? There wasn't, it wasn't the same kind of like, oh, the mayor loves that you guys are doing this in your project. You know, why don't you take this credit or that credit? You know.
2: That's great. And and um, it goes without saying, but the earlier you get into a project, the more your IRR is correct. Um, so at each stage, there's a, there's a um, I basically an exit um, benefit that you're seeing that you're uh, actualizing at the end of the stage. So if you get in earlier, the higher the ROI, but then if you get in later, you know, you'll still be able to realize the ROI for that particular stage, but you won't be able to realize the benefits from earlier stages.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of them are set up, you know, just like, like you guys are investing in other companies, you know, there's a, there's a seat kind of around and something a little more risky and then you you basically kind of recapitalize. So at each stage there's value creation right and so in some cases you know investors that say hey like i'd just like to wait and see if you guys get to vertical well we might not get to vertical if we're able to roll over equity with each stage right um some lenders aren't going to give you credit for that kind of what they call you know lift development lift to equity lift but um there is still some specialty lenders out there that will allow you to roll over your equity so at each stage somebody comes in earlier now they basically get a, a newer valuation and then a newer valuation. So that's that's kind of that's kind of the risk and the reward of coming in built to rent early.
2: Um, uh, I have one last question, which is uh, if you have an investor coming in at the end of well, any of these really any of these phases. But if you're uh, if they're interested in not acquiring the entire property, but just certain pieces of the property, um and you've zoned you know with the city with uh, your municipality in a certain manner do you have to go back to the um municipality and rezone so that you can accommodate that acquisition
1: so are you referring to like what they're individually platted like in-
2: yeah yeah like um, you, uh, typically i mean residential you're zoned one way and right. uh, you uh, can't say you can sell it uh, another way, another zoning um, parameter. So do you have right. to rezone it or is it because- No, no. So, it's way-
1: so, so let's say for, for instance, Lafayette, we would zone for built to rent, but they're all individually platted. If we wanted to sell off 10, we could do that without having to rezone. Now it's much more difficult if if, if in our situation, if we've got a loan with, you know, the Arbor or Corvest, one of the larger lenders, Right. Because they're not they don't they don't want they don't want us selling off small pieces of it. Right. So there is some you're, you're kind of a handicap depending on the letter, the, the lender that you go. But let's say the community bank, which is another project that we have, you know, if we decide to sell that off. No, we don't have to go get a rezoned. It's zoned for for multi, for um, pulled apart multifamily or horizontal multifamily or built to rent, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's sites that we've got now that we're looking at that are industrial and the area needs housing and they know it needs housing and they're going to help push us through the zoning, but we, but, but, uh, I was confused by your question. Cause you were saying like, maybe I could just buy into a portion of it. Um, you, we would basically be selling a portion of it. We, we wouldn't right. break up the investment. Um, you know, to sell off a piece of the investment, we would sell the entire syndication and then you're investing in the kind of operator to dictate how we dispose of the property when it becomes time to to exit
2: yep that
1: makes sense yeah
2: great well thank you very much both uh to you Andy, as well as kishav um and we learned quite a bit this is recorded so for all those that missed a portion or a good portion of this uh, this will be recorded uh, and of course, Andy and and uh, Kishav, we do have your contact information. If you're interested in Build to rent or any of the projects that uh, either Cloud Capital or Legacy is working on, please do reach out to them. And um, everyone have a good day. Thanks again.
1: Yeah, John, thanks for making this happen, man. Appreciate it.
2: No problem. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Have a good weekend. Thank you very
0: much for the great presentation, Andy. We learned a lot about the relatively nascent Build to Rent asset class, how it's a combination of apartment and single family home living and why it makes more sense now than ever. To learn more about Build to Rent, feel free to reach out to Andy McMullen through phone, email, or Calendly. We will include his contact information in the description for this episode as well. His cell phone number is 310-920-2441. His Calendly link is calendly.com forward slash Andy legacy. And his email is Andy at legacyacquisitions.com. Again, thank you, Andy, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak to our audience. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to. And to, to make sure that we can continue bringing you the best educational content. Thanks, everyone. And until next time, keep learning to invest for generational wealth.